I'm Siham Cyrene, and you are here for Better Conversations. For me, a good conversation is one where I feel utterly engaged in the zone and just able to really gain a deep sense of what the discussion is. Although it sounds a little bit strange using the word discussion if all I'm going to do is listen. Well, but it's you're a conversation partner, aren't you, to your clients, to those leaders. And um, it's getting them to think, right? It's getting them to process information. Without doubt, undeniably. And I do think, actually, that the, the ironic thing when you do, and certainly when I, I have a really good coaching session, you can sense, and you'll relate with this, I dare say, you can sense a very, very deep resonance with the other party. And, I, I, you know, that, that for me is just something that makes for, uh, you know, a very, very good, you know, conversation. Because I, I just think uh, all too often in our lives at the moment, we're, we're talked to and there are very few occasions where really good conversation happens and, and, and that you feel that you've been listened to and, and, you know, engaged with in that respect. While we're gifted with speech, conversations, really good conversations, don't happen as much as we'd like. In this podcast, my guest and I deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable, or warming and memorable. My guest today is Steve Gaskell, a fellow coach and author of Business Shouldn't Be This Tough. Um, he has a deep understanding of the difficulties leaders face today, and he's been helping leaders of businesses for some 18 years. He's a former army master coach in the British Army, and he helps develop um, what he calls a pig-headed approach to personal discipline, drive, and ambition. I'm sure we'll get into what that means in a little while. Steve and I have spoken previously and we connected on many levels. So we speak the same language. And so that always makes it feel like we've known each other for a long time. He's doing some fascinating work with people who've been in a life of service and are transitioning into a new career. And we'll be talking about that a little later in the conversation. So, Welcome, Steve. Sian, thank you. It's a, it's a delight and honour to, to, to have been uh, invited to your podcast. Well, my pleasure. I think when we when we spoke, it was fascinating to hear what you were doing. So why don't I hand over to you for a, a minute or two and just tell us what it is that you do, what work you do. Okay, uh, so I'm uh, a high-performance business coach. So I work with, uh, I guess, leaders in business, executives and managing directors, their teams, to to really unlock potential and and to help them, I think in many respects, help the executives and the business owners to, to turn up each day the best version of them in order to, to you know, achieve uh, what it is they set out to start with in business. Uh, and I think, it, you know, as a part of that, I end up working with a lot of teams and to unlock potential in teams. I think it's just there are great jobs out there and then there are fantastic ones. And I think I'm just blessed to, to have been given this opportunity. So um, seeing people make that breakthrough is just incredible. And I guess that kind of in a very short uh, synopsis of what I do. You know, you and I connect because of the, the sort of conversations that we're trying to encourage and help people to have um, both with themselves and their teams and so on. 
Um, so in, in your words, how would you define what a, a great conversation is for, for those people? It's a really interesting question. And, and so far as I think conversation is probably one of the, one of the, the most difficult things sometimes to define. What does go to make a, a, a really good conversation? Um, I think in some instances, if you're out with your friends, it's, it's being the one who can talk the most and, you know, uh, have people you know, recognize and woo what it is you're, you're saying and agree with you. And yet there are other occasions where, you don't get a word in edgeways. So for me, I think the really best conversations that I have as a coach are, are, are interestingly those that I don't do a lot of talking. I'm in a position where I'm, I'm, I've got a, an opportunity to listen more deeply. So this whole interview process this afternoon, uh, you know, joining you on the podcast will be a little bit alien because I'll probably talk more than I normally would. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I know that you can relate with that. And, and I think for me, a good conversation is one where I feel utterly engaged in the zone uh, and just able to really gain a deep sense of, of, you know, what the discussion is. Although it sounds a little bit strange using the word discussion if all I'm going to do is listen. Well, but it's you're a conversation partner, aren't you, in, to your clients, to those leaders. And um, it's getting them to think, right? It's getting them to process information. Without doubt, undeniably. And I do think actually that the the ironic thing when you do, uh, and certainly when I, I have a really good coaching session, you can sense, and you'll relate with this, I dare say, you can sense a very, very deep resonance with the other party. And I, I you know, that, that for me is, is just something that makes for, uh, you know, a very, very good, you know, conversation. Because I, I just think uh, all too often in our lives at the moment, we're, we're talked to, and there are very few occasions where really good conversation happens and, and, and that you feel that you've been listened to and, and, you know, engaged with in that respect. And I, I guess you, you must come across that yourself as a coach. We do talk at people um, most of the time and then, and then we wonder why people either don't listen to us or <laughs> aren't bought into our ideas and so on because we haven't done enough of the groundwork, right, to build up the trust and the connection with the other person. I'm wondering for you, Steve, there are things that certainly my clients say that, that uh, for me, are clear indicators that, you know, this past sort of 60 minutes that we've had together has been enormously useful to them. And I wondered whether you might be able to share some of the things that maybe your clients say at the end of a session, um, having had that time with you. Because I, I often, um, it's not so much I give them the opportunity to just I suppose say that for themselves. When I when I'm doing a coaching session, I, I will always ask at the end, you know, what what has been of most value or or you know most learning for you or, or or the key takeaway. And I always challenge that that moment's reflection to just look back on the conversation uh, and what we've discussed along the way to get a real handle on what you know where the value has been for them. And I suppose as a coach, you know, that that is kind of the way in which we're able to measure our ability to have impact through, you know, those coaching conversations, I actively do ask that question. You know, what, what, what have you found most valuable today or, you know, what's been of most meaning? And it forces that reflection. Mm. And what do they tend to say? 
Well, it really depends on on where they've taken the conversation. But more often than not, I'll, I'll have identified what the key learning was for them along the way. And their comments, their sentiments would probably reinforce uh, what I thought. And when, I, when, when I'm absolutely on point with that, I, I just know that the coaching session has been incredibly valuable to them. It's very difficult. I don't want to sound like a self-licking lollipop, but as a coach... You know, the, the, there are only certain ways in which you can measure the output of, of the conversation. And that, that absolutely is one of them. They'll say and reaffirm probably what I've been thinking. You know, I, I think sometimes at the end, they'll, they'll actually just turn around and say, you know, it's been a, a really, really good session today. And I think that's quite powerful. When somebody says it's been a really good session, it means there's been something meaningful that's clicked for them. Mm. Do you hear things like, um, I never would have got to this point without your help? without talking it through with you. Um, I've got stuff that I can go away and do, I feel more confident about. In some respect or form, you know, all of those things are, are certainly outputs from from the conversations that we have as coaches. And I think it's, it's also probably, um, you know, the challenge that in having those conversations, there is skill to it. You know, it does, it's not easy necessarily to, to listen and unlock those opportunities, that potential, that belief um, to break down barriers. But I think, as you mentioned, when somebody, you know, does turn around and say, you know, I wouldn't have got to this point unless we'd have had this conversation, that's that's kind of, it doesn't get better than that, does it? It's, uh, you know that you've helped them to, to, to make a breakthrough. And ultimately, that's what, what coaching is really all about, uh, you know, and I suppose, you know, we're talking about conversation today and, and, and conversation is is the key tool to really meaningful and powerful coaching. Yeah, and, and you, as you pointed to at the beginning um, when we started talking, it's a, there's a lot of listening and it's, it is listening with so many senses, is it not? Yeah, I think the, 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 the phrase in the coaching world when you're, when you're learning coaching is, is, is active listening and, and actually take it to the next level, it's, it's whole body listening. And I can remember when I was actually doing my, my coach training in the military, I did a, a fascinating exercise, which I, I loved, and I, I've remastered it a few times. Where somebody in the in the group was was given a, a particular scenario, and then mm-hmm. somebody was to to go with them to talk them through the scenario, and then we had they went outside the window, and uh, you know, the, 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 all you could do was trying to work out what their what their conversation was based on on just what you observed. Mm. And it was really, it was really interesting to see, you know, just how close you got or actually how, how far away you were just from watching, you know, whole body. And then it, you, you realize that actually you probably take more from the whole body than you just do from, I guess, from the audio side. Um, and I, I, I've, I've always found that fascinating. I think over the years that I've now been doing it, you, you do become quite tuned into, you know, listening to the whole situation. You know, what, what is their body saying? Is it congruent with, uh, you know, what their, what their face is saying? I have a funny saying with a lot of people, you know, how are you feeling today? And oh, I'm feeling great. And I just say to them, you know, tell your face. And as, as a, a little bit of a quip to, to get a bit of a, a laugh in the room, but there's so much truth to that. It, you know, so many of us, you know, and especially today with the distractions and, you know, the way that the pace of life, we, we, we often don't realize that, that there is this whole, ambience that we, we said about and there's lots to be said even without words music to my ears steve um it is whole body listening it's a great exercise isn't it because without 
without the audio of what's being said, you're then tuning into the emotions or the responses or, and Perhaps I, I always wonder whether you, we get a stronger read of how someone's really feeling if that's all we're looking at, or that's that's the only data for us to process. Um, because we can get sidetracked with what people say. And something I wonder whether you have similar thoughts on it is, you know, when someone starts talking, very often what first comes out isn't necessarily coherent or accurate. And so in you being their sort of thinking partner, um, there's a process of allowing them that space to kind of get it out the first time and then refine and define exactly what it is that they really want to talk about or what the real issue is. Do you find that? Um, more often than not, it's, uh, I think one of the, one of the things I do is, is, is I often, ask permission to make an observation and you, you, I think as you alluded to then you, what they're saying doesn't necessarily relate to what they're saying <laughs> yeah yeah I, I you know I know there's a little bit of an oxymoron in there but the oxymoron is kind of like the elephant in the room sometimes uh, and uh, it goes back to that you know how are you feeling oh, I'm feeling great well tell your face I found um on more than one occasion, well, multiple occasions, you know, do you mind if I make an observation? And very rarely will someone say no. That's the whole reason they sat having a conversation with you in the first place. And I'll just say, I'm not picking up what you're saying in terms of what I'm seeing. So what's the real, you know, issue here? What's the real challenge here? What's the real thing that you're facing? What's the real topic that we want to cover? And uh, I've even had people say, well, I, I don't really know. And I, I love, I, I, there are some cliche coaching questions, but I, I, I do love some of them. And one of them that I always remember someone doing on me and all, you know, my coach very early on challenged me was, well, if you did know, what would it be? And to date, when I use that question, I, I very rarely find a time that I'm unable to, to, to you know, elicit a, a much deeper answer from them. And, and I think that you, you're absolutely spot on when you say, you know, there's lots more to be said than you're saying. Uh, and you only get that through through actually you know watching what's going on. That's a brilliant question. Um, I'm going to add that to my uh, to my collection. There's a hesitation, isn't there, sometimes for us to speak what's really on our minds and to express it. Why do you think that is? Do you know what it confounds me sometimes? When I was in the the, the military, one of the things that they, they 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 taught us through through coaching and you know the power of active listening was they they talked to us about the pub conversation and the way that we all communicate and 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 the way where they, they you know you have a, a notional minute and for the first twenty seconds you're completely engaged with what the other party's saying and then as that twenty seconds moves into the middle of the conversation you're now starting to to think about your your own responses your own. Uh, experiences and and how they're more important than what the other party's saying. In the last twenty seconds, you're actually interrupting them. And I always use the quip that uh, you know uh, your pub conversation will have been. Uh, you know, I've just recently come back from Tenerife and had a great holiday. And before the minutes out, you're interrupting them and telling them that you know, well, I went to eleven a reef and had a better holiday. And yet, when you get to a one-to-one -one coaching conversation with somebody, the whole purpose of that is to to unlock and, and open up and, and, and create potential and opportunities for potential. And and coaches have to work hard sometimes to 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 get to that point, and to you know to deep you know to, to look deep. And I think there's 
is probably I, in my book. Um, I, I talk about um, interference. So fear is, is a root cause of, of many, many, uh, I guess, approaches in our mindset that we have from whether it's anxiety, worry, concern, you know, superhero complex, self-sabotaging, you know, whatever the case may be, it's the, it's the fear at the root cause is, is, is often what I, you know, what I've experienced. And I think the fear of, of being vulnerable and, and saying, you know, actually what needs to be said. And to be honest, it's kind of like, um, I think there was a film of years and years ago where, um, yes, man, he couldn't lie about anything. And it makes you wonder what, what life would be like if, if we actually, you know, didn't lie about anything. If, and I, I'm not saying that anybody listening to this, you know, we are innate, uh, liars, but we're protective of ourselves. And as a result, we, we have a tendency to, to hold back what we really want to say. Even in a coaching environment, that's why a good coach is worth their weight in gold. Because if you can, if you can get in beyond that and tap into that and, and, you know, through the questions that you ask, get to, to, to where you really uncover and for them to discover, you know, what, what it is that they're, they're trying to get beyond, you do open up that potential. So I, I think that in the root cause, it was probably just down to this interference. If you, I suppose, want to take the chimp paradox and what Professor Stephen Peaton says, it's, it's, you know, it's our chip mind. It's, uh, it, it's just the, the protection and protecting ourselves from that vulnerability. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. We do, actually. I, I just produced a, a short video about the things, you know, the ways that we break trust and deception is one of them. And we can, and that's, you know, the, a lie or a deception. We do, and there's research that shows we, we lie, all of us, one to two times. In fact, it peaks in our teenage years, apparently. <laughs> we get a bit wiser when we get older. But um, it's a natural part of evolution and it is a protection mechanism, um, whether it's protecting ourselves, our reputation, protecting our team, protecting ourselves from a loss, right? Um, lots of things. Um, and so I, I, I concur, you know, that, that having that space that's you, where you are in a, you know, you're with someone who is not judging you, is just hearing you out and being a gentle, friendly challenge to maybe some of some of the thinking uh, based on what they know about you. Um, but also just allowing for stuff to be said, right? Just to say it and not filter and not self-censor because that keeps us keeps us at a distance from our goals our own personal goals and uh and you know it causes a lot of frustration so just i'm curious about with our whole sort of uh, remote shift to remote working the lockdowns how are you seeing some of those conversations change whether between you and your clients or for your clients in their world I think we've obviously, you know, there has been a significant shift across to, you know, the digital world. I suppose I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've been video coaching for, well, for the past few years. So many of my clients were already well versed in, in, in using the digital platforms. The fact that they've accelerated in terms of the, you know, how secure they are and how, you know, the interface and user friendly they are. I think in, in, in that respect, much of what we see uh, as uh, you've been able to maintain. I think what's really interesting is there is a difference in terms of how do we respond 
and behave in front of a lens. The perception is often we see people on a, you know, a Zoom call, their attention, you know, isn't necessarily on the lens because the lens is, a, you know, an inanimate object. And, you know, you're looking at the TV or the, the monitor for, you know, the cues. And most people will probably have multiple screens and then there are lots of different distractions. So they're hearing. And I think there is a lot more attention in terms of the level of, of hearing that's been going on. But visibly and visually, I think it's very easy to, to, to be perceived or to perceive that there's a, lo- a lower level of attention. But what I've found is that there isn't. People are still listening quite, quite intently, even though their eyes might be gazing from one screen to the next or to their desk, because you're not, you know, in that interpersonal piece where you're, you know, you're sat looking at somebody. The, 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 the distractions are readily available. And there's a head, head trash bit that goes with that, I think, in terms of just the confidence of the conversation. Now, you know, am I losing this person at the moment? Because I think, we can actually now find ourselves in a place where we can be uh, misled by the visual cues that we're receiving. So th- I think there's a, a, an even greater onus on the coach, you know, in, in the coaching conversation to really work at getting beyond that. And just, the, the, you know, the level of questions that are, are being answered and the detail and, you know, the person that you're talking to and how well you know them, you know, they're, 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 they're slightly more subtle cues than what necessarily our eyes are perceiving. So I think that's something that we've, uh, you know, got to overcome uh, and, and, and potentially adjust to, um, which I've I found quite, quite fascinating over the, over the, well, pretty much since March, uh, when we really have immersed into, uh, you know, in, into the digital world. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, just listening to you, it occurs to me that certainly as coaches, we're in a good position of already sort of not having an over-reliance on the visual necessarily and having good conversation skills and, you know, moving a conversation forward and listening and questioning and so on. But I do wonder about that sort of when you're in a team meeting environment, um, you know, there's a there's a sea of faces and there's because we haven't got that physical in-person interaction going on there there are even you know that what we're seeing visually is even poorer because either people are not very expressionful or as you say their gaze moves and you're not sure if if they're still with you or if they're typing or you know they put you on mute and you know that these sorts of behaviors happening in team meetings has got to be a challenge for leaders to try and maintain that sort of that bond between team members um, in a in a world that's poorer in data. With everything that we're experiencing, there's almost a new set of rules that are, you know need to be defined. And it's really interesting because I'm I'm working with one company and they're actually their sales team. So we're looking to unlock potential in their sales team. Now, you know, salespeople are you know. Probably the, the you know the greatest the art of conversation. Vast majority of them you'll talk to will, will we're adamant that you know I will get back to face to face soon enough. And and I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we you know we're seeing change. It's going to be around to to stay a while. And and one of the things that we we started talking about straight away was actually you need to learn some new skills. And I, and I suppose actually not just the skills but the etiquette of how to communicate with a camera. And with the screens, and I, you know, I think you, you know when we started our conversation today, you know, you were rightly 
and a you know a skilled podcaster you know let can I just direct you can you turn your calendar off can you make sure that your alerts aren't on can you shut any tab that's likely to ping because they're they're all distractions and I think we've almost got to write out a new uh, you know set of play rules that uh, you know as we start to engage with this as a, a you know means of communications we, we need to do it at a you know a higher level well I think the younger generation might already be years ahead of this in terms of you know they've now been communicating on text for you know I look at my kids you know my my I say kids one of them's 22 one of them's 26 they've been communicating virtually for 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 years you know and then a few years back FaceTime came out with uh you know the, the ability to have video link but for them it's a part of their mode of communications of of having conversations I dare say for some of us who are maybe a little bit older and, 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 you know, have come into this and, you know, we've seen it arrive, but we've already got experience on, you know, and actually interpersonal skills. And I dare say, like many, we would probably have been at some point, you know, scoffing at the younger generation. They were just sitting there clicking away with their thumbs and looking at FaceTime. And it's, I think at the moment, it's kind of like, who's laughing now? I remember my son lives up in Bath and he got locked down. Uh, and I was generally concerned for his well-being because he was isolated. He was going to be on his own. And I thought, you know, how's he going to cope? I mean, I've coped with this stuff because I've been away on operations for months and months and months on end and devoid of anything. But actually, he was fine. And he was fine because he already had the, the, the ability to communicate through digital platforms from using his phone to text messaging to, dare I say, you know, when he was getting onto, the, you know, the games platform to, to play some of his favorite games with his friends, but he'd already been doing that before. And so I think that there's a the whole new playbook to be written in terms of how the vast majority of us start to engage through this, uh, these new means. Do you think um, that um, us oldies, not so old, but, you know, <laughs> um, certainly not, not of the, you know, the generation that's coming through and into the workforce, do you think we over worry that they won't have the conversation skills? Because while they're very uh, adept on digital, there's an in-person skill that's needed. And there's a lot certainly I'm hearing in the news about um, the mental health of young people because they haven't got this um, physical contact uh, and connection with people and the social side of it, which is so important at that age. Do you think we're over worrying or do you think they'll come through it? They'll, they'll figure a way out. Um, they'll figure a way of, of connecting socially. I think that's a, it's a, it's a really interesting and fascinating question. And, and again, I'm very mindful of what my perception is on this one because yeah, you know, I, I, as a parent, I, you know, I, I was, to you know, getting frustrated that you know they're um, they're being starved of of contact, but actually when I want to think about it, you know they they were with their friends all day every day at school, and then they were coming home and that they were jumping onto the devices and they were continuing the conversation and it was it was just relentless. And I think you know when I was at school I'd, I'd be all day with my, my friends at school and then I'd be allowed to go out to play. I think there's a, a an interesting context. You go out to play with your your friends after school and then you come back for dinner. And then, you know, you're, you, you, you're down for the night. 
you know, but the, with with their interface, it's the, you know they 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 communicate on different levels than we did. Now, when we when we start to look at this in in the context of how the the digital platforms are being used and abused, there are more platforms for for people to to, and I don't think everyone abuses them on purpose or purposefully, but it, 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 there's a there's a platform there, you know, for let's put it this way, for your school bullies. There is also uh, I think, I suppose when we when we were at school, you know, I'm, I'm 52 years old now, so it was a few years back. What you saw is what you got. I was, you know, I was Steve Gaskell, and and that was my my persona. I learned today, you know, there are natural and adapted personas. Whereas I think, um, you know, there's even I think the the school of of how we gain knowledge, you know, through VAC, the visual visual auditory and kinesthetic. They've now added digital as another element by which we learn and and I, I i do i do sense that we probably could learn a little bit more about how we communicate digitally and recognize the fact that it, it is a, a modality of, of how we can have conversations but by the same token what it's also done is opened up a huge spectrum of where that can be abused of how we interpret i i, I remember you know um, years ago when I was, I was based in Catterick and I was, uh, head of logistics. And for months, when I, after I arrived there in my new appointment for months, I'd been writing my emails and, um, I just wrote everything with caps lock on. Now, bear in mind that I was, uh, you know, what was known as a warrant officer. So I was quite high up there in the, the, the rank structure. I remember one day, a, a, you know, color sergeant who was running one of the stores come up to me, said, he said, uh, you know, and you, as a warrant officer, you're called sir. He said, "Say you're 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 a real angry chap, aren't you?" And I, I, I was kind of like taken by that because I was anything but an angry chap. I was kind of I felt as you know pretty amicable, go lucky as a sergeant major. And I said, "No, no, I'm 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 all right." He went, well, "That's not how your emails come across." He said, "Your emails every time you send an email out, you're shouting at us." <laughs> and I went, "What are you on about?" And he said, "Well." You know, everything's in capital letters, and it never occurred to me that you know that that was a the way in which it can be interpreted. So for months, I'd been shouting at all the color sergeants. I got a lot of stuff done, you can probably imagine, and, um, you know, they towed the line. But I, I wasn't the resonance I was trying to build. You fast forward to today, uh, and, and I suppose even if you go from March and fast forward to where we are now, you know, pretty much everybody has had to go digital in one respect or another from the, the elderly all the way through. But how many different ways are there now to interpret what's said? And, and I think that's where the challenge is. You know, this is a conversation about conversation. I mean, it's a real difficult question that you posed in terms of, you know, what, what, what are my thoughts? I think it's here to stay. We've got, we've got to somehow learn and embrace and understand it. And, and maybe rather than creating a, 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 you know, a void around it or, you know, avoiding it or painting it as being the problem rather we've got to learn how to communicate using everything that's available to us because it's not going away far from it does i know it probably doesn't answer the question directly it's a really tough one to answer if i'm honest but that's kind of like my perception i think there's a lot we still don't know and time will tell um but for sure there are many different platforms there are lots of different ways of communicating but one thing i see steve People still need help figuring out what they think about stuff. And they still need help figuring out how they're going to phrase something 
for example, if they need to give difficult feedback or need to explain to someone exactly how they're feeling. And my concern is, I think I agree with you on on a lot of levels. I listen to my son on his Xbox and he's a chatty boy anyway, but, um, you know, it's nonstop conversation um, for him. So I'm, I'm sort of heartened by the fact that he is socializing and joking and right. And, and, and that side is happening, even if it can't happen in person, but there are still, if not you know, there are still the difficult conversations to have, the difficult things that I want to say and express that actually on a digital environment, I feel are at, in danger of being misunderstood or not being said at all because it's excruciatingly difficult to know how to do it. Um, and therefore, you know, we have to, part of the protocol, like you were talking about, you know, the etiquette around how do we communicate digitally is knowing where the boundaries are for different platforms, that that's not a conversation to have on an online chat group. That's a conversation where you pick up the phone or try and go and see that person and have um, in person. Um, And I think that's where, you know, for the regular conversations, it's pretty straightforward, right? The functional day-to-day stuff, but it's it's the tougher stuff that I think digital platforms are either going to make harder or not assist with. We're only really beginning to touch the surface of, of those digital platforms. I mean, you know, not something that I'm at all knowledgeable in, but when you then start to look at the intervention of artificial intelligence and, you know, some of those difficult conversations you know, we're not, we're not going to be too far away from where a, a non-sentient being can have a conversation with somebody and be that set of ears. And I, I think that's, again, in one respect, it feels wholeheartedly bizarre that that's some way that, you know, we're headed in that direction. And then in another, it's kind of like, well, you know, it means that there might well be potentially in your pocket the help and support that everybody needs at any point. And, and you're not talking to somebody, but you're actually then being able to to have a conversation with someone that's going to help you. Because I suppose the whole point of a conversation is to verbalize, you know, that the, maybe the challenges that we're facing or the excitement that we're facing or whatever it might be. And, it, you know, it, it, it helps with, you know, our ability to function as a human being. So I, I think it's, um, yeah, it, it, there's, there's so, so much more to be discovered on this one. And I think you're right that, that we, 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 you know, what are, the ways in which and what is appropriate and what's not. Um, and it's um, it, it's kind of challenging. It is challenging when you look at that going forward. Wow. I, well, I think that may be a subject we have to <laughs> yeah. revisit at some point, um, <laughs> for sure. Um, let's take a quick break. Better conversations. We all want to have them at work. Have you ever felt dread about an upcoming chat with a colleague you needed to have Or had that sinking feeling when that meeting didn't go as well as you hoped? When we can provide a safe space in conversation, the other person feels able to open up without fear. As leaders, part of helping our team do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we have successful conversations, we become more influential 
encourage deeper collaborations and foster true connection at work. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Seherm Sirene, helping you to navigate those tough conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. So um, I'm curious, Steve, what's, who's influenced your style of conversation? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer, I think, because I, I served for, for 28 years. And um, I think in that time, you, you find that, that as you grow up through the ranks, um, promote, you, you know, lots of different people influence you along the way and some good, some bad. I think in terms of most recently, when I was uh, appointed regimental sergeant major, and I was, uh, the, you know, basically the regiment sergeant major for the commanding officer of our battalion. The commanding officer was uh, a, a phenomenal character. And um, I, I, I suppose one of the things that really impacted on me was his, his, his high level of emotional intelligence and how we, you know, we had uh, over 640 soldiers in the battalion. And it, it didn't matter what corner we took and to who he bumped into, he knew, he knew everybody. And he'd taken the time to understand a little bit about them. And as a result of that, you can imagine that the conversations that a commanding officer was able to have with a private soldier immediately put a private soldier at ease. And, you know, that, that's in the military context, that's just, you know, incredible. But he was utterly, utterly engaged. Didn't, didn't matter the, the nature of the conversation, you know, and the fact that he was a, you know, a, a lieutenant colonel, the, the point of every conversation he had, he understood the value that it meant to the other person, you know, as the, as the head of the organization. And I, I think someone to aspire towards, he always, always was a, you know, big influencer for me in terms of how he did it and how he communicated and the, the level of engagement. And the fact that I think that the ultimate accolade for him was the level of loyalty from, from the soldiers. You know, the soldiers across, uh, you know, 640 men and women, you know, really loved him and, and really, you know, uh, uh, were were you know truly led by him, uh, and a lot of it was down to his ability to communicate. It was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And and uh, uh, the only reason I'm I'm not giving the name is because he's quite high up in the army today, and I, you know I, I think it'd probably just be a little bit inappropriate of me. But he's he is you know significantly high up in the military today, and you know now I think he's where he had an audience of 640 in our regiment. I think you know he, he now has a. Uh, you know, an audience that is significantly wider and more that his ability to influence will be phenomenal going forward. But yeah, he was incredible. Really, really was. It's quite wonderful to hear stories like that um, because I just think, wow, that that one person had an impact on so many people and they are memorable. They are truly memorable. You feel a warmth when you think about those people because of the way they made you feel. Um, and then, you know, you talk about the loyalty. Well, that's, that's inevitable, isn't it? When someone pays you that kind of attention. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and it's interesting as well, because in the military, I've also experienced the very worst of communication where it's hollow, it's shallow. You, you'd be talking to somebody and, and, you know, before you've even finished answering a question that they've asked, they're, they're already looking to someone more interested to go and talk to. And, uh, you know, I can always remember that. Uh, there, there were a few occasions where I found myself in those conversations and um, I was kind of, uh, I suppose in my day as a young soldier, I might have been 
uh, a little bit more belligerent than I should have been. But I can remember saying to somebody that, you know, excuse me, I haven't finished speaking yet. And um, that kind of shocked uh, people back into the into the conversation. And, and by people, I generally mean people that were a higher rank than me, which in the militaries, you know, you, you, you're treading on, you can, you can sometimes be treading on a little bit of thin ice because it can come across as quite rude, even though they're the ones that are arguably being, you know, ruder, uh, by by really not being attentive to the questions that they ask in the answer that you're giving. I love that you did though. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. It was it was comical on occasions. And, and you know what? Sometimes people were generally um, incredibly apologetic because you shocked them back into the fact that hang on, you just asked me a question. I was just answering you, and, and you know you you you're wandering off. What are you doing? And uh, you know. For some people, it's just because you you just find yourself in that in that situation. As you can very easily be distracted. Well, people get excited or carried away, or as you were saying at the very beginning, there are you know we're thinking about the stuff that we want to contribute or say or add, or you know the opinion that we that we want to impress on someone, and that can um, that can hijack our emotions and and um, cause us to interrupt. Yeah. Interesting. While we're on the subject of your time in service, um, I'd love to for, for you to share the work that you're doing to support those who have led a life in service and are transitioning out into other careers. Well, I, I'll give you, I, I suppose, a little bit of background to it. So the, the, the book concept, so the book is called um, Life After Service Shouldn't Be This Tough When You Realize Your True Value. And initially, the book was going to be written for, you know, the military service personnel. Because obviously, you know, having come from that and gone through the transitionary period and left the military and now, you know, looking at, you know, start my own business and the challenges that I faced, the success that I've enjoyed. I wanted to, I wanted to share that with, with, uh, with service leavers. And then since, since leaving, I, I locally, um, in Exeter, I've done a, a bit of resettlement work with, uh, with the police force. And, um, over a few years, I, you know, we got there maybe once a quarter and I'd spend a couple of hours, you know, uh, I, I'd been doing a, a, a bit of resentment with the police and you go in there and I was, I was talking about that, that transition and, and, and sharing the trend, my, my transition and, you know, the challenges and the opportunities that I faced and how I've gone about actually getting to where I've got to today. And it, it was all about trying to unlock their value because what I'd seen from the military, and sadly, it's all too prevalent today because of social media. You know, uh, you, you, you know, there's lots of accounts and stories of people that have fallen on hard times, suffered with PTSD or mental health problems. I could see as being avoidable when we start to realize what we're worth. And, and you haven't done work with the police. I just suddenly realized that they, they, they suffer exactly the same. My assumption has been that anybody that is given a life of service and, you know, there's a phrase out there, institutionalized, which they say you're familiar with. Um, you know, when you're institutionalized, you, you, you tend not to see the true value in, in, in what you can offer the wider society, or in this case, business. So, um, the, the book is really about challenging individuals to, to, to just start to, to, to recognize the true value that they have. And by that, it's really a case of, you know, the skill sets that you have, the transferable skill sets that you have are 
phenomenally value for, for you know, organizations, businesses, or dare I say, if you're a bit entrepreneurial, starting your own business. And the fact that you come from an organization that has a strong focus on values, which turn up each and every day as, you know, significant behaviors and that, you know, working a 12 hour day doesn't mean anything to you. It's just a part of the calling and that you've always given service. All of those attributes for anybody owning a business today that they would, they would, you know, bite your arm off to, to, to have you part of their team. And to, you know, to, to, to go above and beyond and to show a new level of loyalty. You know, I think something that's, that's quite fascinating is this study of the four day week. And I think if you had a service workforce, the four day week would be easily, you know, uh, achieved because in four days, service personnel would be able to fulfill what you would n- normally maybe do in a five day week. And the sad fact is that I, I, I don't see enough of, of service per, you know, service people really recognizing and valuing their contribution and rather you know the transition to to to, to leave in their their service and you know I can talk with some expertise with regards to the military that you know leave the military to start something fresh there is a lot of doubt and fear and worry and concern and it's just born through not really holding the mirror up and truly recognizing your value so if I can in some short uh, and simple way, offer service levers. So this is now the much wider context, not just the military, but anybody who's given a life of service, prison, fire service, police service, fire, you know, uh, um, health service. If I can give them a little bit of inspiration that says, actually, look at your transferable skills, your beliefs, your values, your behaviors, and you will have a far wider and far reaching ability to go out there and do whatever it is you want to do. With, with, uh, you know, limited holes, if no holes, you just have to put your mind to it. Whereas I think sadly, what I see is one, people falling on hard times. I think secondly, people jumping straight back into another uniform. And the police incidentally was a, you know, I asked the question, how many of you were, are ex services from the police? And there would be at least maybe a, you know, a quarter or a third of the room that would put their hands up that they've left the services to then join the police service. So. I just want to, I want to give something back if I can uh, and, and, and maybe just challenge people to, to hold that mirror up and have a really good long, hard look at themselves. It's interesting because as an outsider, Steve, I, I, you talk about, you know, feeling institutionalized and there's a, there's a security about being in the service because there's clear protocol and processes. There's an infrastructure, there's a team. There are uh, there's some there's a there's a level of certainty in terms of you know your routine. Not to say that you know your your. I'm sure every day is different, but that there is a there is a continuity there. That stepping away from there probably isn't any other um, industry per se that has that same kind of rigor and structure and process around it. Um, I could be completely wrong here, but that's my sense is just that the stepping away from a space of certainty to a space of great uncertainty and, uh, and having to rely on themselves in a way that maybe they haven't had to quite to that extent um, in service. Would that be a fair thing to say? 
100%. But I think the interesting point on that is the context that they served. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I can talk from obviously the army's perspective of my, my service and everyone that I've led and, you know, trained and that have led and trained me. And, and, you know, today it, 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 you are institutionalized by virtue of being a part of an organization that, you, you know, you're completely ingrained in. And the phrase itself is kind of like can, can be a bit of a misnomer because today we want thinking soldiers. Uh, we want the girls and boys on the front line that are, you know, really able to think on their feet and act in high pressure situations. So pretty much any soldier that you'll come across that has served, you know, a few years will have been and experienced at some level the ability to think on their feet. Now they've got incredible structure, military law, you know, there's a set of values. I mean, I used to say, you know, basic training was very much a case of the phrase we used to have when you have a weapon, you strip your weapon down to all its component parts for daily cleaning and put it back together a better version. So basic training was always a case of stripping somebody down to their component parts and then putting them back together as a soldier. You know, so that they're, they're very quick in being able to, you know, let's put it this way, I suppose, assimilate somebody into the military quite quickly. Whereas, you know, a business can't necessarily do that. We, we go through culture and finding the right person. And the transition from service life into, you know, a, a second career or joining a business or being a business owner is about recognizing the value that you have within and contributing, you know, a different organization or learning a new skill. And it's that inner belief. It's not allowing yourself to be held back by inhibitions. And the institutionalization challenge is one where what, what often I've seen happen in the past is that you feel as part of an organization that you're better than, you know, your counterpart who isn't in the military because they're ill-disciplined and they don't do this and they don't do that and they're not as good as us and they don't conform to rules. And, you know, there's a whole series of different elements that come to it and they become barriers in their own right rather than looking at what it is that you're going to contribute and where you can add value. And I think that's, that's probably one of the, one of the biggest challenges is just, just getting over that mindset. You're not a million miles away from what you've discussed and how you explain institutionalization. It, you know, that's, that's the form of it, but there's so much more for them to start to recognize and understand when they look at it through a slightly different lens. And, and I'm hoping that through my book, once it's published, that, you know, hopefully maybe a couple of people will even pick it up and read it, but there'll be something there that will offer them a different lens to, to reflect through. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm sure, and and it's navigating the the new place and the different way that maybe the culture that you now find yourself in, the way people connect. And I, I can see that it would be, if you're used to a certain kind of interaction and a depth of, of knowledge of your teammates, um, you know, under pressure, you may not, it, it's a different pathway to that same place within an, you know, working with in an organization or setting up your own business um, that uh, requires an adjustment. I think, I think your book will be well received. Um, I think it's a fantastic area to focus on without doubt. We, we're sort of coming towards the end, but I can't let you go without answering one of my questions or two of my questions. My first question is, what are you great at? in conversation outside of your, maybe we should take this outside of your work because it might be an unfair advantage <laughs> for, to talk about your work. What do you like when you're not working in conversation? What are you great at? 
And then what are some habits that you are still working on? That's a really polite way of saying what am I not so good at? <laughs> well, I can answer both. I mean, I, I, it's an interesting when you say when I'm out of work because, um, you know, I often have this conversation, you know, coaching isn't just a, a you know, a, a, you know, a job for me. It's a way of life. And I, I really, really do strive to be the very best version of me each and every day. And, and, and part of that is, is to be able to communicate as effectively as I can, which directly links to, to probably where, uh, you know, I face challenge. Um, there's, there's a couple of areas there and, and I, I love the, 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 you know, the software you're using on these podcasts because it's, it's a very visual way of seeing when I'm talking and when I'm not talking, but also for me to control not interrupting. I think, you know, through our conversation today, there's probably been one or two times where you were still talking and I, I, I had a burning desire to say something and it was interrupting you before you finished what you were saying, which is exactly <laughs> the opposite to what I said earlier about in a good communicator. So that's one area I'm always conscious of. And so the, uh, the, and I'm sorry, the reader or the, the listeners won't see the visual on this, but there's, you know, two speech lines going along. Um, uh, and you can see when you're talking, when you're not. So interrupting is one. And I try to limit that as much as I can. And, and, and there's another one, um, which is, uh, I've taken from a guy called, uh, Michael Bungie, who you, you, you may be familiar with. He's a, you know, a real clever guy in the world of coaching, a Canadian guy. And that one is the advice monster. And it's the fact that I am a coach and uh, I prefer at, at every opportunity to unlock their performance and the potential of my clients through them identifying what it is they need to do. And if I can do that without giving one ounce of, of advice, more often than not, when we go back to the beginning of the conversation, you refer to, you know, who are the, you know, what, what, what's the, the, the outcomes from those really good conversations and what do they say? You know, that's part of the, uh, almost certainly part of the ingredients of the, of a, a really good coaching session is they've come up with it, not me. But there are occasions where you, you have to be maybe a little consultative or you have to be a little bit directive to, to, to unlock it. But yeah, I'm always being tuned into not, not allowing the advice monster to jump up and start answering, uh, answering their questions and giving them all the answers in that respect. Well, it always comes from a good place. I feel either the, you know, um, the wanting to give advice, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a, there's an inadvertent disempowering that happens as a result or, or a lack of connection with, with what it is that somebody needs to do. Right. That means they, um, we, we, we maybe have denied them that opportunity to connect emotionally with something. Um, so make sure to make sure that it happens for them. Um, Steve, it's been wonderful. What would you, what maybe some final words you'd like to leave with listeners about conversations? I think in, uh, um, in every instance, you know, try and be comfortable with, with a bit of silence. Because I think if there's a bit of silence in the conversation, you'll gain more from it. Um, obviously, as long as it's not on both sides for too long at the same time. Um, but I think a bit of silence and, and really just tuning in to, 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 to really listen. I think, you know, Stephen Covey's the, the, you know, the renowned, you know, mm. orator of, of, you know, seek first to understand. And I think, uh, if you, if you do that, the other party will just, they will just build a strong resonance with you. So I think, I think being strong with silence and listening, you know, for me in conversation, and, and it's kind of odd, isn't it? Because we, we would normally default that conversation is all about talking. And the silence and listening are two absolutely critical 
um, you know, ingredients for really, really meaningful conversations. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And, and likewise, thanks for the opportunity. It's been, uh, it's been brilliant. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. And if you did, leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond. And I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Cyrene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So, what would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders Who Coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Cyrene, and this has been a better conversation.